This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it's the best way to get to really know the guest. And if you hear a dog barking in the background, I'm babysitting a couple dogs, so bear with me. Um, but <laughs> this week's guest is someone I've been following for years and years and has been an inspiration to thousands, if not millions of people. And his name is Eric Weinmeier. And on May 25th, 2001, Eric became the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And in 2008, he completed the seven summits in Papua New Guinea. And this accomplishment closed the circuit on a 13-year journey that had begun with his 1995 ascent of Denali. He's joined by a select company of only 150 mountaineers to accomplish this feat. But as a blind adventurer who has climbed Mount Everest and kayaked the Grand Canyon, Eric understands better than most that barriers are real, not merely perceived, and that obstacles encountered can either stop us in our tracks or we can figure out a way to harness them and propel ourselves to new places that we would never get to in any other way. Eric calls this alchemy, the process of turning lead into gold. With an alchemist, he says, you can throw them in the midst of a fierce competitive environment, strip away their resources, throw roadblocks in front of them, and they still find a way to win. Not despite adversity, but because of it. And to advance this idea, Eric co-founded not merely an organization, but rather a movement called No Barriers. The mission is to help people with challenges, all of us to some extent, to turn the storm of life, face barriers head on, embrace a pioneering and innovative spirit, and team up with great people to live in rich and meaning and purpose. The motto is, what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. And to this aim, Eric continues to challenge himself to live a barriers, no barriers life. And in September 2014, he kayaked the entire 277 miles of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. So, Elkham, or Eric, welcome to the show. A step ahead of myself. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great intro. So, Eric, you know, you're on, you know, what you've done has been amazing, but, you know, I'd love share a little bit of your story and tell us, you know, what sort of inspired you to do these amazing things. Well, I mean, I don't really know where the source of my inspiration came from. I do know that when I was a kid growing up in Connecticut, I always liked to be adventuresome. I mean, like we'd run around in the woods and jump off of cliffs and, you know, into piles of leaves and, you know, jump over boulders and try to see who could jump the farthest and, uh, you know, scramble around cliffs and ride around on my buddy's uh, mini bike through the woods, uh, even though I could barely see out of one eye. Uh, so I kind of just grew up in that way, trying to ride my bike, you know, like sometimes in like fifth grade, my parents, they were really awesome. They would let me, and I was legally blind at that time still. I mean, I was born, you know, just able to see a little bit out of my right eye, but they would let me take my bike and I would just pack a lunch and I would just go like riding around town exploring like climbing down these cliffs and swimming in the river by myself and so i don't know i mean i just i i always remember being like that and i will say that when i started going blind like for real like like so blind i couldn't take a step i was really frustrated and angry because 
Like I felt like there was this brick wall, like I was like being thrown into this prison, you know, where like I couldn't get out of it. I, I couldn't figure out how to, how to navigate. And uh, so I don't think when I went blind, anything changed except for the fact that now I was like trying to figure out how to, you know, whether that was a death sentence or whether that was, whether there was any possibility of, you know, continuing to, to, to move forward in that adventuresome way. And, um, I'm really lucky cause I had good family, good friends, good teachers. And, uh, my brother told me, he, he said, uh, you should join the wrestling team. Uh, his buddies were the captain of the wrestling team. So one day I stumbled down the hallway to my, with my cane and, and I joined the wrestling team and they, the captain of the team was like this little hundred pound guy. And he slammed me into the mat so hard, just like every other freshman, every little greasy pimply freshman. And, uh, I love that. No, he didn't baby me, just beat me into the mat like every other little guy. And I loved it. I just loved it. That was my family. And I, I wrestled for four years and, uh, I loved being a part of things that were bigger than me, you know, being part of a team that extended onto my climbing teams. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. So when did you lose total vision? About a week before my freshman year in high school, I was at my grandmother's house and um, I remember I couldn't see well enough to, and I refused to use a cane. My, I mean, all the like teachers and stuff were saying, you got to learn to use a cane. You're going to go blind. The doctors, you know, they've diagnosed me like I'd be blind as a teenager. There's no way to, around it. And I just ignored it. You know, I just, just denied it. And so I didn't have a cane and I was walking down the dock off my grandparents property and uh i i just blundered ahead and i took a step and i did a flip in the air <laughs> and i landed like eight feet down on the deck of a boat on my back oh. and uh, i just thought oh my god i'm gonna kill myself like i better start using a cane i i hate the idea of using a cane i hate the idea of being blind but like you know if i don't i'm gonna i'm gonna die so uh, so it was, blindness beat me. I didn't beat it. Wow. And then, so how, you know, when did you start become, you know, coming to grips with that? Obviously it sounds like it was right away getting into the, into wrestling, <laughs> continuing with everything. It sounds like, you know, you're like, Oh my God, now I still gotta, you know, keep competing. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to be a part of things. Like I hated the idea of being left out. Like I, I got, I'm as a climber. I mean, I have a lot of friends. We all have FOMO disease. They call it, you know, fear of missing out. And I just, I got the ultimate FOMO disease. You know, when I was going blind, the idea that I, you know, not see, you know, I'd be like trapped in darkness. You know, that's a little bit like movie. Like I, I wasn't as worried about that. You know, what I was worried about was that I wouldn't be part of the food fights. I wouldn't be on dates. Like I couldn't drive and like pick people up, and, you know, go mess around town and, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't do any of the things that I sort of thought would be part of a life. And, uh, so part of my journey was sort of figuring out how to move forward, um, and learning the tools to do so all this, you know, first of all, the tools of blindness, like using a cane, like learning braille, uh, and also, um, like building the right team around you. Like I've been really totally freaking lucky to be able to 
attract really great people to be a part of my life that have mentored me, that have pushed me, that motivate me, that believe in me. Uh, that's like the greatest blessing in the world for me. And, uh, and then like the right mindset, you know, just a, a mindset of persistence, uh, but, but also kind of a, a mindset of openness, you know, of, uh, you know, I guess, you know, even you hate the feeling of being vulnerable, but just kind of keeping your heart open to new things and uh, getting used to being uncomfortable and a little bit scared. And that became your comfort zone, right? Or being uncomfortable was probably became comfortable. I don't know if it ever becomes yeah. comfortable, <laughs> but it becomes familiar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes familiar. It becomes a place you've been before. Um, and, uh, you know, I have pushed the envelope of, of that for sure. You know, like, you know, learning to kayak, you know, <laughs> there were, you know, days and, you know, thousands of hours of training and I'm just trying to develop all these systems and tools and how to communicate with my team. And you're just like going crazy down this rapid and spinning around, hitting rocks, like, you know, because you're like a, you know, you just haven't perfected anything yet. and slamming your elbows and blood splattering everywhere and flip over and you pull your skirt and you know, you swim through your, through your life through these rapids and you get out of the river and you go like, you know, uh, I learned something today. I learned, you know, why there aren't that many blind kayakers in the world, <laughs> you know, but yeah, you do, you, you do understand, you know, you, you'd mentioned this idea of no barriers and I, you know, I'm not crazy on the whole, like, you know, th I think people are a little too motivational these days, a little too cliche, but distilling it down, I do think there is a map. It's a very messy map, but there are kind of these universal elements that exist along the way. Um, like the one you mentioned, that kind of idea of alchemy of trying to figure out how to use bad things and turning them into energy and using them to propel forward. You know, that's like one of the pieces of that map that I learned. So no barriers really simply put, I think is a map. It's a very messy map. And, you know, they were all struggling to build and navigate in, in our lives. And, uh, and so, yeah, part of that map is that whenever you do something big, there's always going to be some flailing and bleeding and doubting. <laughs> that's at least for me. I think that's everything in life, right? You're trying to do something big. You're going to, you know, no matter what, you're going to get beat up along the way. So talk to us about the kayaking thing. How did you get into kayaking as, you know, doing rapids blind? All I can, I, I, I'm scared enough doing them when I can see everything. And that's like a class one going down you know, a small <laughs> river in New Hampshire, you know, doing what you're, how, how did you learn that? Number one, number two, I think what's more fascinating is, how were you able to communicate with your team going through it? Or was it just a, you know, free for all? <laughs> or you, yes. It's a bit of a free for all at first, you know, but you know, you're trying, you start out in like class three type stuff where if it is a free for all, you're going to survive, right? You're going to flip over. Maybe you'll hit a rock. You'll swim. You'll, you'll, you know, they'd call it pool drop. You'll come out below the rapid. Um, you know, you'll pop your head out gasping. and so you give yourself room for flailing and bleeding. Um, I'm glad I climbed before kayaking because climbing was scary. And then to multiply that times 10, uh, 
and that was kayaking because you're kind of like on this elevator, you're going at the river's pace and it's this massive force and you're, you're riding it down and you know, you can't put on the brakes like in skiing or climbing and say, you know, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I'm just going to stop here and sit on this rock and catch my breath. There's none of that. You go, you know, with the river and, and you, you are trying to sort of, uh, you know, assert your will on the river a bit, you know, trying to get set up and get in the right place and then paddle like crazy and charge through these rapids. But in a way you're a little bit at the river's mercy, I guess. I wouldn't say mercy, but you're at the river's, you know, the river is bigger than you are going to be. So you're kind of trying to ride that energy. So, um, so that was hard to get used to, you know, to wrap my mind around that, you know, that, that idea of, you know, not necessarily asserting full control over the situation, which is what you try to do in climbing, uh, but sort of almost letting go and just riding it. And that was a different mindset for me. I'm very, I guess, controlling, you know, I like to, of course, con you know, that's the way I've survived, I guess, is by controlling as influencing, I'd say as much as I can influence in my environment. But uh, <laughs> there were times in kayaking where you, it, it's the fine balancing act between uh, controlling and and just r letting that force carry you. Uh, so anyway, yeah, that was hard. And um, yeah, then there were obviously practical logistics, you know, in terms of how my guide would guide me, you know, but we always developed very simple communication, super simple, you know, hard left, hard right, small left, small right charge, um, stop paddling, <laughs> uh, hold that line, which means like straight, you know, just paddle straight ahead. Do not change trajectory, even though the river is trying to pull you left and right. Um, and so, you know, that's what, like seven commands. Right. And then we had radios. Uh, that was a tricky part. We had to develop radios. Uh, they're not really even technically radios. It was a communication device. And we went to this little tiny company finally after years and years of just the worst crap that, you know, none of it worked and none of it was reliable. Um, you know, they'd say, you know, flawless, waterproof heads, you know, communication. And no, they'd completely fail at the worst moments and turn into like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, wah, 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 you couldn't understand a word. And eventually we found this really cool little tiny company, Neptune, uh, Neptune communications out of the UK. And they made these headsets and communication systems for, uh, like, like, you know, uh, sea rescues and, uh, and those work pretty good most of the time. Um, but yeah, they were, so I'd have an earpiece in my left ear and my guy guide would have also a microphone and, uh, and yeah, I mean, you're going down a rapid. It's almost like there are a few times I felt like I was like an astronaut or something because you're, you're, you know, you're covered in like dry suit, you know, and you got this skirt over you and you're squeezed into this little coffin of a cockpit and you got a PFD around you, uh, tight around your chest. And I have all this communication stuff and I got this, you know, earpiece in my left ear and a helmet over me and, you know, and you know, the guides, you know, saying, okay, you're coming down the tongue. You're coming into the green water. Okay. Hard left charge, the hard, right, left, hard, right. And it just turns into absolute wild insanity. 
talk about controlled chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good phrase for it, controlled <laughs> chaos. <laughs> so, you know, being blind, obviously, I can't imagine, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure, or maybe I'm not sure, are all your other, you know, senses heightened? And can you feel, you know, can you feel the river? Can you feel the air in the mountains? Can you feel, you know, different things that, you know, we take for granted as, as having sight um, that help you do all this type of stuff of, you know, of skiing, of whitewater kayaking, climbing, you know, the seven summits? Well, of course, yeah, you have to, you know, part of anything I think is whether you can see or not is increasing your awareness. And, uh, so I don't have eyes. That's like a really big, vital, central part of, uh, you know, getting information in the world. So yeah, I have to get it in other ways. I have to get it, you know, in less obvious ways, you know, in a river, like feeling the sun on a certain part of my face and knowing what time of day it is and know what direction I'm moving in. And, uh, feeling, uh, you know, hearing the Canyon walls and, uh, hearing the pour overs and the, and the, and the features of the river and orienting myself, you know, by what I'm feeling under my boat, it's very in obvious ways of, uh, of navigating and of being aware of what's going on around you. And, uh, yeah, so there's no way really, you know, as a blind person to look at a video like, you know, the old wide world of sports videos, of people kayaking or skiing, you have to experience it. You know, it's more of a kinesthetic learning. It's more of like, get yourself into that situation and go and practice and repeat and repeat and repeat and flail and flail until you figure it out. Wow. And were you, before you became blind, were you skiing as well? Or did you learn that after you were blind? No, I wasn't really able to do anything when I could see a little bit because I had uh, these very fragile retinas that if I got bumped on the head, I would go blind faster. So the doctor said no contact sports. Okay. So believe it or not, it's kind of weird. But when I went totally blind, the gloves were off. I could do anything I wanted. There was nothing else to lose. So that's when I was able to do everything I do now. Right, right. <laughs> Wow, that's it's that's a unique perspective, but it's a great perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Life's uh, nothing but ironic, I guess. Yeah, you you got, exactly. You got nothing to lose. So, talk to us about the, <laughs> you know your book and the no barriers lifestyle. What are some of the you know top five things that you're trying to convey in in the no barriers lifestyle? Well, as you mentioned so eloquently, yeah, we're trying to really build a movement and. Uh, I started it with my friend Mark Wellman and Hugh Herr, and they're these two guys that I really respect. I mean, they're heroes of mine. Uh, Mark Wellman was in his 20s when he uh, was a really good climber. He sadly fell down a peak in the Sierra Nevadas. He became paralyzed from the waist down. Uh, he developed a system to uh, do pull-ups up the rock face. He holds this pull-up bar, and he slides the bar up the rope, and basically does little mini pull-ups up the rock face and in the eighties climbed El Capitan in Yosemite 3000 feet. He did it in eight days. They said he did 7,000 pull-ups. Wow. Total badass. I mean, like how can you get more amazing than that? And, uh, and then Hugh Herr who lost both legs in a ice climbing in a storm, uh, on actually on Mount Washington 
before the interview, we were talking about that. And, uh, yeah, he was up there in the winter and, you know, young kid just pushed the envelope too hard and went down the wrong side of the mountain and lost his legs from frostbite. And, uh, he went out and, uh, uh, you know, just after lots of struggle realized he wanted to climb so badly again that he started tinkering in his garage and kind of discovered through that struggle that he was, uh, an inventor and he built these little legs. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. And, you know, he built them himself and they had little wedges, like a, like a doorstop, no heels, just little tiny baby feet. And he would wedge them into seams and cracks, like, you know, better than a foot. And he became an amazing climber. He now runs the biomechatronics laboratory at MIT, um, building what $64 million R and D, you know, prosthetic legs, the most sophisticated legs in the world. And he, I mean, that's just scratching the surface of what he does. But anyway, so the three of us went climbing together. Yeah. Yeah. You should interview Hugh, man. He's, he's hard to get a hold of because he's always in the lab, but he's amazing. Uh, But anyway, the three of us climbed this beautiful tower uh, outside of Moab uh, for one of Mark's films. I think it was called uh, Beyond the Barriers. And so we were like a fully, and again, this is Mark Wellman's word, not mine, but he, we were a full GIMP climbing team. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and so we climbed this beautiful rock face together, uh, Mark doing his pull-ups, Hugh using his prosthetics, me scanning and feeling with my feet. And, uh, and that was for me, maybe the beginning of no barriers, because I just realized like, wow, people climb the mountain in all kinds of ways. And like, what does that look like for people, you know, and are are these guys just exceptions to the rule or is there some kind of universal, um, you know, learning that we could all benefit from that we could all sort of tap into both externally in terms of the approaches and the tools and the technologies, but also the mindset. Cause I felt so connected to these guys and, you know, not necessarily in a weird way through our successes. Successes are so different, but through our struggle, because struggle is, I think, more universal than, you know, victory. And so, uh, so yeah, the No Barriers became this cool organization and movement to lean in. We have uh, folks with physical disabilities, and we also have folks with invisible disabilities, you know, folks with trauma and PTSD and fear and anxiety and depression and kids in the foster care system, first-generation Americans, uh, kids who have lost parents uh, to violence and war. And we all lean in and we say, you know, like, look, we're going to problem-solve our way through this and we're going to get strength from each other and we're going we're gonna to be no barriers. And uh, it's been really, really uh, powerful for me to be a part of this community. Uh, now, you know, we have thousands and thousands of people that come out to our events and take part in our programs and uh, – you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get people off the sideline, you know, people, you know, like I was there for a while, you know, just sitting on the sidelines in the dark, listening to life go by and hating that feeling. And, you know, there's just so much lost potential in the world. Uh, so no barriers is about getting people that back in the action. And then, you know, once you've had your personal quote unquote summits, um, how do you then figure out how to elevate the world? You know, how to, to be an elevator, I guess, um, you know, with your own life, with your family. Uh, so yeah, we have people take a no barriers pledge and they, uh, 
they've been things like I'm going to write a book or I'm going to start my own nonprofit or start a business or run a marathon. They're very deeply personal things, sometimes getting off painkillers. Um, so, so yeah, we, you know, tangibly, it's been really fun to see the good things that result from our programs. Right. I love the story. I was watching the video on your site about the, um, the individual who came with no arms and no legs and, you know, he signed up the night before and, and you were saying that, well, this is no <laughs> barriers, right? And you went and got some packing tape and towels and you got the guy to the top of 12,000 feet. That was just, that was unbelievable. And then he went on to climb Kilimanjaro. You know, that was a, uh, talk about <laughs> that guy's uh, name is Kyle Maynard, man. He's so cool. He's like, you know, another kind of hero of mine, you know, even though he's a bit younger, he's like the next generation. Yeah. He just, he showed up at our summit. That's the coolest thing. You know, like this, I could give you a hundred stories like this. This guy shows up at our, at our event and we're doing this hiking clinic and yeah. And he's like, I want to join the hiking clinic. And we're like, somebody like Eric, he doesn't have arms or legs. (laughs) So (laughs) like, how are we going to do this? You know, smarter guys than me uh, got together and we kind of scrambled that night and, uh, and came up with this really brilliant, uh, terrible, uh, system that started things off for him. And it was just, uh, yeah, stole bath towels, packing tape, tape, foam, shopping bags, uh, taped it all onto his stumps. Um, the more politically correct word is residual limbs. <laughs> and, uh, he, uh, he crabbed his way, you know, to 12,000 feet and, and then proceeded to tell me that that was just a stepping stone because, you know, if he could do this, he wanted to try to climb Kilimanjaro, which he did the next year, 10 days, crabbed his way up Kili, and then he crabbed his way up Aconcagua, the tallest peak in South America, 23,000 feet. So Kyle's doing a lot of good in the world. Yeah, no barriers there. It's, you know, and I think a lot of it's a mindset, right? Do you think, you know, if you're to give someone going through adversity in their life, you know, what would you tell them? You know, what, you know, what, what's one thing you would say? Um, I'm sure there's more than one. You know, I've struggled with this, you know, because, um, you know, like when I wrote my book, No Barriers, you know, it didn't have like an overtly like perfect takeaway. I don't think life really does, honestly. I think it sells people short, you know? I had all these consultants that I'd get together with and they'd be like, yeah, but you need a very strong takeaway, you know, where you can give people a sentence and, and it's like, no, nah, no sentence changes anyone's life. You know, it's a disservice to people in a way, right? I mean, like the No Barriers journey is so personal. It's so, um, it's so different, right? It's not about climbing mountains or kayaking rivers. For everyone, it's different, you know? And so, you know, we've had people come to our events and they simply want to, you know, they've had a bad accident and they want to walk down a set of stairs, or they want to get out of their house again. You know, they're sick of sitting in their basement eating ramen noodles. Uh, or they uh, want to reduce the, you know, the, the physical pain in their lives. And they're looking for ways forward. Uh, so I guess, uh, I don't know. Uh, you could say so many things to people that are struggling. But, right. I mean, nobody's going to come to your basement and save you, right? you got to get out there in the world. You know, I think it comes back to, um, I mean, it's a little cheesy, but I call it the open heart policy. You got to like force your heart open and, and get out there in the world and 
and join a group, you know, join a wrestling team, join a hobby, join a club, join no barriers, be a part of something. Um, and you know, once you sort of begin to create the right sense of gratitude and mindset, you know, those people will rub off on you because I do think people are good in the world. You know, like people will mentor you. They'll take you under their wing. They'll show you the way, but you, it starts with you. And so, uh, you know, I think people sometimes close themselves off to possibility. They shut down because it's all about fear and all about, you know, these, these challenges become like a crust that layer them, that cut them away from living. And, you know, what you should do is try to rip that crust away and sort of, sort of figure out how to trust, uh, you know, the future in some way and move forward and get into one of those situations, one of those, uh, one of those situations, one of those environments that is going to push you to grow. But the, you just have to, the first step has to come from, from within us. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, I don't think, you know, no barriers. One of the things we talk about and we're trying to really break into schools and stuff now is because, uh, you know, we don't have a language. We don't have a lexicon for how you move through the growth process, through that process of struggling and finding yourself. And, um, I mean, I do think it starts from within, you know, it starts from, you know, kind of figuring out what you have inside and trying to grow it and nurture it and kind of allowing it to blaze into the world. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I think people are just looking out there, which is a good thing, you know, like if you're trying to figure out the future, you know, it's a good thing to see the, you know, world, but, you know, sometimes we just are reeling and reacting and blaming and attacking, and we're just looking for reasons to blow things up and shut down. And, uh, you know, I think it comes from inside of us. It has to start there. I love it. You know, just the first step, right? It's just taking that first step in whatever direction. Yeah, we had this guy, and not that all everything's about physical disability, but we had this uh, guy at the summit, and uh, uh, he was on a tri triple amputee. Uh, most of the people who have this disease, you know, they die. He's one of the few people that are alive with this disease, and with his one arm, he has like I think one or one or two fingers. And he started getting into bodybuilding and he started adapting. He was one of the speakers at our last summit. He started adapting all these cool techniques. I mean, I can't, I didn't specifically ask him, but I don't even think he, I don't even know if he can hold a weight, you know? So it's a lot of body resistance and all these things that he had to create. Imagine that guy he got out into a public gym. He started working out and he placed third in an amateur bodybuilding contest. The rock writes him and says, you're my hero. Wow. And, yeah. And he, you know, if he had just chose to live in the basement and be afraid of the world, the rock wasn't coming to him. You got to get out there. That's uh, that, that's well, I think, <laughs> so that's the one piece of advice that I think I love what you said though. And it's, and it's taking that accountability, right? It's be accountable to yourself because no one's coming to save you. You have to save yourself. hundred percent. Right. But. but, you know, organizations like No Barriers, and there's lots of them out there, they're not perfect, but they can be a catalyst to growth. 
and change in your life. Uh, but again, they're only catalysts. They're only the thing that helps ignite in you um, something that, you know, you wanted to have in the first place. So uh, those organizations like No Barriers, they're not saviors. You know, they're, they're catalysts to like gather up energy and motivation and some tools and maybe a cool new mindset, get the right community around you, and then you move forward. No, that's, that's amazing. So Eric, we're coming up on to half hour, 35 minutes here. It's, we could go for hours and hours, but where can people find you? Where can they, you know, check out your summit, your no barriers program? Where can they find you personally? That type of stuff. Uh, no barriers, is where they can learn about no barriers. Uh, for me, they can learn about our stuff. Uh, uh, Eric dot com and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah, I hope people in, in, enjoy, uh, the new book, no barriers. And also, uh, we have a very cool uh, documentary that started out very much like a sleeper little film. We were, the director wasn't even sure he liked it. He told me, he's like, I'm not even sure I like this film as you know, we worked on iteration after iteration and, and we entered it in the Banff mountain film festival last year and it won, won the grand prize. And uh, people are really, really responding positively, and it's on demand. It's on cable on demand, and uh, all the different uh, all the different uh, cable companies. It's on iTunes, and uh, it's been downloaded now like a hundred thousand times or something. So uh, it's really cool to see that film. It's called The Weight of Water. It's really beautiful to see uh, that film getting some nice exposure out there. Awesome. No, I'll love to check it out. And I'll put all the links to everything too. And, you know, into the show notes too, to make sure everything gets linked back to you and everything else. But Eric, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time. You know, it's, you're an amazing guy, inspiring thousands, but I think, you know, I love your first thing. It's just, you know, be accountable and take the first step. And I think that's, that's the, you know, the journey of a thousand, of a thousand miles starts with one step, but you, you know, you really nailed it right there with different, you know, with different people with the weightlifter guy and the, you know, the, the fellow climbing the mountain with no arms and no legs. And if you think something's impossible, it's not impossible. So thanks Eric for being part of this. Awesome. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Good to meet you. Oh, it was great. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, or needs anything from me, feel free to email me at kenofexecutiveathletes.com and go out there and make sure you crush it this week. Thanks for listening.